Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy Wednesday, you guys, and happy Independence Day to all of our friends from and living in Mexico right south of me in Texas. I actually went to Mexico City in January, which feels like a lifetime ago. I went with Compassion International, and I was able to meet my sponsored child there, Mia, who actually will turn three years old in December, and I love everything Compassion's doing. So happy Independence Day to our friends in Mexico, and specifically, Mia and your mom that I met in January. You guys, we're two weeks away from my newest book, You Be You, releasing into the world. I am so excited about the message of wanting women to be the woman that God has created them to be, to own their gifts and their talents and quit trying to be somebody else and to live the life that God has given them. Because I truly believe that we will be the most satisfied and the most successful when we bloom right where we're planted, where we do the things that God has asked us to do right where we are. So I'm excited. It's two weeks away. I would love it if you would pre-order this book. You can get it anywhere books are sold. And don't forget, we have some great goodies to give you. One of them is a live book party release that is two weeks from today on September 30th. You only get to come if you pre-order. It's gonna be great. We're gonna have giveaways and special guests, book reading, all kinds of stuff. You also get a chance to win lunch with me and my bestie, Amy. Yes, that's true. We're gonna fly to wherever you and your bestie are, and we're gonna take you out to lunch. But most important with pre-ordering is it helps the retailers know, hey, we should stock this book. So I would appreciate it. If you want more information about the book, head on over to jamieivy.com slash UBU. Or you guys, we've made it super simple. You can text the words UBU, all one word, no spaces, to 33777. We'll give you everything you need to know right on your phone. Text UBU to 33777, no spaces, and I'll help you pre-order that book that comes out in two weeks. Also, oh my gosh, this has been fun. I hope you have seen on Instagram the things we're giving away. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at Jamie Ivy because we have some great giveaways leading up to book release. Speaking of great, let me talk about my guest today. I was so excited to sit down and interview Brooke Ligerwood. Brooke is a worship leader and she's head of Hillsong Worship. She's wife to Scott. She's mom. I should say mom because she's from New Zealand. She's mother to two toddler daughters. And her and her husband, Scott, just released a children's book called What a Beautiful Name. Today, Brooke and I chat about how life has been impacted in current COVID-19 times, what it's been like to be attentive to what God is doing, and how this 2020 feels to be the start of something big in the church. Brooke also talks about her story of meeting Jesus. And you guys, I never get old of hearing these stories. You're going to love it. Also, I may or may not have introduced her to a phrase that she'd never heard before. And that felt quite lovely, you guys. 
I have one more thing to tell you about before we get to my conversation with Brooke, and that is this. Yes, I have a new book coming out that I'm so excited about, but did you know that my husband Aaron and I also released a separate podcast together? Yes, we did. It's called On the Other Side, and it includes stories of people who are on the other side of something. The feedback has been so encouraging, and we cannot wait for you to hear all of these stories. Our first episode introduced you to a man named Tom who was on the other side of hatred. He was in the KKK. Our next episode was with my friend Jonathan and Alina Pitts, who both lost someone so dear to them two years ago. Jonathan lost his wife and Alina lost her mom. The episode after that was with Jeremy Courtney, who runs Preemptive Love, and this is on the other side of war. And just this week, in a couple of days, you're going to hear on Friday our newest episode with the Scruggs, who were married then divorced, then remarried. You can't make this stuff up. These stories are unbelievable. To learn more about On the Other Side, again, we've made it so easy for you guys. Text OTOS to 55444. That's OTOS, which stands for On the Other Side, to 55444. You're going to get all the details sent directly to your phone. Guys, again, I've given you so much information. If you ever can't remember anything, we put everything up on our webpage. Go to jamieivy.com. It's all there. Okay, friends, I have told you enough about my new podcast, my new book. I've introduced Brooke to you. Here's the conversation. You're going to love it. Hey, Brooke, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you very much for having me on in within at the happy hour. All of the things. The only thing ever, I say this all the time. The only thing that would make this better if we were legit having a happy hour and I met you wherever we would meet and that would be a fun little happy hour. But that would be very lovely. We will deal with Zoom for now and we'll we'll have another happy hour another time. Uh, Seriously, welcome. Uh, You've been on my list of people I want to have on the show for a long time. And so give your like elevator pitch introduction real quick to my listeners. My elevator pigeon? Your elevator pitch. Is that an American thing? Oh, I don't, I don't <laughs> Do you know, know what, what that means. Is that like the tone of what? No. I don't, oh, what but is this, this is so fun. Okay. This is so fun, Brooke. So okay. I said, give your elevator pitch. Yes. Is that an American thing? You've never heard that before. I have never. Heard okay. So let me tell you what it is. This would be where someone, they would say like, you have one chance to meet an executive and you ride from the bottom floor all the way up to the top floor and you have that long to sell yourself to them. And so it would be like, here's my to elevator To sell pitch. myself? I don't need you to sell yourself, but it would be like, here's my elevator pitch of who I am. Hey, I'm Jamie Ivy. I live in Austin, Texas. I have four kids. I have a podcast. That's who I am. Great. Okay. How tall is the building? <laughs> it's like nine <laughs> floors. <laughs> That's not very tall, Jamie. It's a slow elevator. I was elevator, thinking you were okay? going to say like 37. It's a very slow elevator okay. with a lot of stops, people getting in and out. So do your thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> Hi. My name is Brooke Ledgetwood. I'm from New Zealand, which is a tiny country at the bottom of the world. Then I lived in Australia. I met a man. He was six foot four with eyes like the ocean. His name was Scott. We got married. Then we moved to America where we now live. We have two children. They are girl children, females. They're called Dylan and Rooney. They're three years old and four years old. Vocationally, who knows what I do? I do many things. I'm the head of Hillsong Worship for many, many years. I also was a mainstream artist with Sony Music. And just generally, I love Jesus and I want to follow him and then die and go to heaven. And I want to hear him say, good job, Brooke. Best elevator pitch I've ever heard, Brooke. No, that was not, oh, I feel like I could do better. Well, if I would have given you a heads up on what an elevator pitch is, you know, but I hope that next time you hear that, you say, you know what? Jamie Ivey taught me that. So if there's anything I could teach you, Brooke, it's what an elevator pitch is. I love that. I want to tell you a little bit, something that I love recently that you did. I was at Passion this last year. 
And yes, it was so fabulous. Aaron, my husband, and I came down. We were not there for New Year's Eve. So we came down the morning of the first and stayed for the one night. But I did see you perform King of Kings on a piano in front of, I mean, what were there like 8 million people in that room? I mean, it was. <laughs> it feels like that now, especially right looking back. If only we would have known. What would we have done different if we would have known what was going to happen three months later? Oh, I would have gone to more dinners. Yeah, I would have like kissed more people in the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. I wouldn't have done that actually. Are you a kisser? This is a weird, like we just met and I'm asking you, like I, like we have some really good friends. They are Hispanic, they kiss. And I, when I'm around their family, I love it so much. Do you, is this a thing? I feel like I only have kissing relationships with some people, which is probably appropriate, you know, but I'm not, not generally, but possibly, probably only very specifically. But if we would have known COVID was coming, maybe we yeah. would have become. Maybe we would have gre- greeted one another with a brotherly <laughs> yes, kiss. That's exactly right. You know? Back to my story when we were at Passion and yes. we saw you perform King of Kings on a piano just by yourself. And I want to tell you, it was one of the most moving moments um, that I've had in a really long time with being led in worship. Wow. And so I just wanted to publicly tell you, A, it was you did awesome. That's not what I want to tell you. But what happened in that room was just beautiful. And I think I'm always curious as to what that moment, it meant a lot to me as a a worshiper, I won't say a spectator, even though there were times when I was like, I just have to watch what's happening because this is so beautiful. But as a worshiper there, when you were leading us, it was a moment for me. What was it like for you on stage playing that song? There were a lot of levels, I think, to that experience for me. But first and foremost, I mean, Shelley Giglio, who we talked about, we're both very good friends with her. I mean, that was her first time speaking at Passion in its history. And so I just, as a friend and somebody who is just loves and respects and admires her deeply, seeing her step into that and say that yes and deliver what she delivered with such conciseness her words, just every word that she spoke hit the target. And I felt like was it was like mama has stepped into the house. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it felt like when she spoke. So she had said to me like a few days before that, I'm, you know, when she told me she was going to speak and I was like, this is amazing. Yes, yes, yes. All the yes. And she said, would you get up and, and sing King of Kings at the end? And I was like, I will do anything for you, Shelley. If you tell me to like tap dance in a bikini, like I will do that. <laughs> that is terrifying, but I will do that. No one else will thank you, but you know. But anyway, so first, first, so first and foremost, my thought was just seeing our friend and seeing this woman of God, seeing this female leader in the church, just deliver that message with the authority that she did. And then being able, what it meant to me to be able to then get up as her friend and support her and stand beside her. That was my predominant thought. I was like, this is like, I just felt the pleasure of God on my friend with her Mm. obedience, you know, was my first and foremost thing. And then translating that to then the lyrics of the song, you know, King of Kings, we tried to pack the gospel into four minutes, you know, and then you did a great job. Yeah, (laughs) We did our best. But then hearing 65,000 college students sing the gospel at the outset of the year was a very, very profound moment. I think when you, you know, as we all start to get older a little bit. I mean, you're only 25, Jamie. So, you know, maybe one day, maybe one day you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, But, you know, I think when you see, hear and experience or sense a generation taking up the baton of the gospel, Mm -hmm. that's a pretty potent and um, an incredible thing. So I very much was profoundly moved by that as well. Thinking, you know what? It's going to be okay. (laughs) I think it's going to be okay. And I, I, you know, I've needed to hold on to that moment and, you know, and the moments through, you know, since that, you know, there is a generation of young people who are 
setting and determining and resolving to follow Jesus with their lives and to count yeah. the cost and yeah. be real disciples. And and obviously that's a lot more than standing up and singing a song, but I think it's what that represented was really powerful for me. So that's very cool. We got to experience that together. Yeah, very it was cool. very powerful. And Shelley did a phenomenal job as well. I did not know it was her and if she said this, I forgot it. I did not know it was her only time to ever speak yeah. a passion, which Burke, my listeners might know this because I've shared this story before, but I actually started following Jesus at Passion 1999. What? Isn't that crazy? And my husband really started following Jesus at the very first one. So he was at the very wow. first Passion. It was here in Texas someplace. Mine was in Texas as well. And so this was our first time to go back to Passion. I, my husband had been since. I'd never been since 1999. And so here I was... All of these years later, 20 years later, standing in a room in a moment of how I fell in love with Jesus was in a moment like that. Less people, but still same great teaching, same great worship. And so it was a full circle moment for me that I still get chills over, like just thinking about what passion has done over 20 years that I have been a part of it. And then I have a 16 year old, he'll be going soon, you know? And so it's just like, oh my gosh, you mentioned something about just... Um, you know, packing the whole gospel inside of that song, which is a beautiful song. You guys, if you haven't heard it, go find it right now and listen to it. But one of the things you also talked about was we were both at Passion and we're seeing this, you know, 65,000, most of them college age, young adults heading into the world. And you and I both lived a little bit of life. And so when you think about those people and you think about your songwriting, so that's kind of what I want to ask you. How do you when you go to write a new song, because you're a beautiful songwriter, when you go to do that, who's your audience that you're thinking of? Like you played that in front of all those students, but you that we sing that at our church. Like there's always an audience. For you as a songwriter, do you have a particular audience in mind when you're writing a song? It's really varied. You know, I have a song called New Wine that I wrote a, f- a few years ago. And that wasn't for Which any audience, you, but thank you. That wasn't for anyone. That was literally just a prayer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was just between me and the Lord. And it was with you know, some trepidation many months later that I thought maybe, you know, should bring this to our team and maybe we can bring it to church. But that was a really, um, those songs, you know, and I have many of those, there was no audience. It was just, this was how I was songwriting for me since I was 12 years old is how I've processed since even before I knew the Lord actually. And then it was like, I was writing these songs and then I met Jesus when I was 15 and like my gift then all of a sudden met, it's collided with its redemptive purpose, which then kind of, you know, set it on a whole other course. But songwriting has always been for me how I, um, how I externally am processing a lot of things. But then when it comes to writing for the church, that's kind of a whole, you know, other things. So there are songs that I'll write in my own, you know, for my own personal use, my own, my own language, my own communion with God. Uh, but then of course, you know, as part of Hillsong Worship and what we do in the mandate on our church, where we're called to bring a new song to the church. And so what does that mean? As a songwriter, you want to kind of disappear. You know, we all have our isms, everything that comes through the filter of who we are, whatever we do, whether it's being, whether it's mothering or podcasting, or it all comes through the filter of who we are and how God's wired us. So there's isms that we have. But I think when it comes to writing for the church, my job as a songwriter is kind of to still bring a song through the filter of who I am and bring, and and of course, it to all be rooted in authentic communion and biblical truth, but also for me to somewhat disappear as the songwriter so that the person coming into a church service or the person who hears the song in another format, that that can become their prayer. So there can't be so much of me in it 
that they can't take that and make it their own prayer because the idea is that these songs are bridges for people to commune with God. And then, of course, them being worship songs, it's really important that, that the theology is right. And so that's a that's a big emphasis, particularly, I guess, in, in our church and our movement health song is that we're, we're writing songs that are biblical. So we actually have a, a checking process that all our songs go to before we're allowed to even bring them to church, before they're even recorded, before we're even allowed to bring them to church and introduce them. They have to pass through some theology checks. We have our global teaching pastors. Who I was going to say, what does a, that look like? Yeah, so we have our global teaching pastors, Robert and Amanda Ferguson, who are you know educated at the Wing Wang and um, lecture at our Bible College. And so, and it's just an amazing process. Even you know, for some of our young songwriters, so Robert and Amanda will question, "What do you mean by this line?" You know, mm. this is a little ambiguous. Can we? And sometimes the songwriters, are like, I don't actually know what I meant by that. And so the conversation and the discipleship that happens of some of our young writers, even just through that process, I think is really, really precious. So yeah, it's pretty special. It's almost like you're having to make sure that every word counts and you know exactly what you're saying the whole time. Because it's like, even sometimes as I don't write songs by any means, but as being an author, you can say like, well, you know what I meant, right? And the person yeah. the editor's like, no, I don't know what you mean because you didn't tell me. And yes. so that process of only having, you know, so many words in a song is beautiful because I would imagine there's a lot of, you know, young artists who get a little bit lazy with that. And what you're doing is you're causing, you're asking your songwriters to be really, really diligent with their words and what they're saying. Yeah. And it matters to the church and it matters to us and our churches who were singing Hillsong songs. And so it's important. I like that so much. Brooke, I have a question for you. 2020, I mean, no one has to tell anyone that this has been a difficult year with COVID-19 and racial injustice in our country and church has been different and hard for so many people. But I've heard a little bit of people kind of thinking that they're seeing something happening that looks a little bit like revival. Like we're seeing some movements, we're seeing people worshiping, even though it looks different right now, because for the most part, most of us are not entering into a church building every single Sunday. Most of us are being led digitally or we're outside or whatever it might look like. What are you seeing in where you're leading and in your churches and even just in our country? Are you seeing anything pop up with Christians right now of, I think we're seeing something on, we're on the edge of something. I think everybody's feeling that. And, um, you know, I remember for some reason, you know, even before this year, as with many people, I think for some reason I was just finding all these books in my hand about historic revivals and about revival in Christendom throughout history or, or about particular ministers of the gospel in centuries past. And, you know, one of the things that has always predicated great moves of God has been, you know, prayer and repentance. When the pandemic began and all this stuff looked different and, every, and and I was still reading about revival, but I was like, but I'm not seeing, it's not necessarily ushering in uh, waves of repentance. Mm. So, but I was like, but it is getting our attention and it's forcing people to, to think differently, to pour, mm. to take pause, to take what, I guess, of the wineskin, what are the wineskins that we've always used? What are the wineskins? Where do we think that we are protecting the wine, but we're actually preserving the wineskin, holding on to a wineskin and thus missing what God, because mm. God wants to pour something in you, but we're clinging to this old wineskin, you know, like just like, exactly like Jesus said, if God, if, if the new wine comes into the old wineskin, the wineskin bursts and both the wineskin and the wine are ruined. So what does it look like for us to, for us as individual believers, us as communities, us as the church to let go of some of the wineskins we've been clinging to in order to hold the new thing that will then hold and facilitate 
what God wants to do it because it's not going to be the wine skin that feeds and nourishes and changes anything. It's going to be the wine that, and that can only come from the Lord, but we need to be prepared to have our hands open and our hearts open to not clinging to our systems and not making an idol of our events. And so I think it began with this dismantling of some of those idols. And not that I think I know everything. This is just obviously, you know, my take. And I, I bring it with humility and with the the in bold acknowledgement that I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm I'm out here trying. But you know, but then when um when George Floyd was killed and this surge started, then we started seeing repentance. Mm and humility on a scale and in a spread that I haven't seen in my lifetime. And around, it wasn't just in America, it leaked out to the nations. I mean, in Australia right now, you know, where our church is based, there's a there's a revelation and a revolution happening there that I didn't think I would ever see mm. because Australians are very easygoing, very, but is there racism there? Absolutely. But it just took a different form, mm-hmm. not necessarily with systemic right. systemic uh, issues. Uh, well, definitely some systemic issues actually, but not necessarily with like the some way it the, looks here in America. The, not necessarily yeah. the way it looks yeah. there. But um some but certainly racism that looked kind of harmless or almost jovial or that I don't think could have been addressed mm. at any other time in any other way than by what has happened this year. You know, obviously there's clear exceptions, but on mass, this incredible spirit of humility and repentance to those who are prepared to get down on their knees and and ask God to lead us and convict us and show us again. Like when I see that, I go, oh, these are the things that I've read about Mm -hmm. in these books about these moves of God in centuries past. Like this is what predicated it. It was repentance. It was the tearing down of idolatry, even within the church. And so I, um, yeah, I don't don't know what's going to happen, but I'm, you know, I'm awake, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm attentive. As you're saying those things, like there's something that comes up in me that just thinks, I don't want to miss that. Like, I don't want to somehow cling and hold so tightly to like what you were talking about, these old wineskins or these these ways or the things we've always done or the systems that my grip is so tight that I don't see what God's doing. And there's this fear in me that I'm going to miss out. Like, I think like, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss it, which I think is not true. And and we see right now where everything's kind of had to slow down with COVID and everything, the world, you know, in a sense, stopped. And I think it was this moment where it gave people the opportunity to see things they hadn't seen before and hear things and understand things and hold on to things. What is this season that we've been in since March for you personally? What does that look like for you as a songwriter? Have Has this unusual... COVID-19 season that our world has been in, has this birthed new songs in you? What has it felt like for you as a, as an artist? Yeah, there are so many elements to the elements. And I guess I don't see myself as an artist necessarily. So I, I have to think about that. What do you see yourself as? Just a person. Just a person. Okay. Yeah. Just, You're an artist. Like a, <laughs> a human, a human person. But you um, create, you create beautiful things that are for the flourishing of the church. And so, yeah. Maybe I just mean like, how is you as a person, Brooke, who creates beautiful things yeah. for the flourishing of the body? How has, how has that been for you in COVID? It's been, um, I always feel like guilty is not the right word, but I guess aware when I start talking about like my experience this year, because I'm really aware that, I mean, we were talking with, you know, our friends last night about, I mean, at the beginning of this, people were saying, you know, we're all in the same, you know, for the first time in history, we're all in the same boat. And then 
you know, people came out and, you know, appropriately corrected that and said, actually, that's not true. We're all in the same storm, but we're all in very different boats. And so I'm really aware of the boat that I'm in versus the boat that other people are in. So the storm for me has looked different. And I, I do wrestle with that. Why is it that other people have lost people and are suffering so? And why, why not me? And so I guess from my boat in the same storm, I'm going, what can I throw out to the other boats? And that's not just on a, you know, on a music level, on a ministry level, but just as a follower of Jesus, like, what does that look like? And um, I think it means a lot of things. I think, I mean, I think you've done podcasts on it before already this year on lament, Mm -hmm. like learning as the church to lament. It looks like lament. It looks like a renewed commitment to biblical justice it looks like not trying to vindicate ourselves. It means like not adding to the division, but turning the other cheek. I think it means being really, really gracious and forgiving and being willing to take hits and not be, but, but truly, really and truly to follow Jesus and navigating all of this, that we don't become the Christians who are prideful and combative and think we have the sole corner on all of biblical truth. You know, I think it looks like having a lot of humility and, um, from, a, I guess, a ministry perspective, um, we're working on a project right now with, with Hillsong Worship in terms of, and that's where we're racing through that. We're trying to get it out as soon as possible, probably October. Um, but we're, we're working on a record with United and Young and Free as well that hopefully really serves people in this season. And that look that has looked so different. Just before I got on with you, I was on a, um, a streaming link to London. We were recording some vocals in London. So I was kind of on that session, like sending notes. And then our other team in Australia were all on. So it's kind of making an album across three countries, you know, all of these ways. It looks like ministry starting at home, you know, which I guess is where this children's book comes into it as well. That's been, you know, I don't think I've ever spent so many consecutive days with my kids since they were born. And that has been, I mean, I could cry talking about it. I mean, Mm. like what a gift, you know, and I'm always, I've always been so grateful for what I get to do and what the Lord's placed in my hand, but it doesn't get any easier to say goodbye to those little girls, you know? And I remember once when I was about to go on a trip last year was full of travel for me and a lot of ways is. And I remember Dylan, who was three at the time, um, my eldest, she was trying to, she was kind of asking me why I had to go, go again. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to her about, you know, there's a lot of people that, that don't, that still don't know that Jesus loves them. So Mm -hmm. what mummy tries to do is go out and remind people or tell people that they had, that don't know that Jesus really loves them and that they're not alone and that they can know him. And she, I could see it sinking into her little three-year-old brain that that was important, but she still wanted mummy. So then she came back with, she paused and she thought about it. And then she said, could they just all come to our house instead? <laughs> That's not a bad idea right there. Yeah, which, is, which I was like, I mean, I guess we can do that now through Zoom, but you know, that's... Um, that these times with them have been have been really precious, and um, you know, myself and my husband, we weren't raised in Christian Christian homes. We both became Christians when we were teenagers, and so we didn't grow up with a firsthand example of mm. um, parents who loved the Lord. So we are winging this. We're reading all the books. We are, you know, studying our friends and what they're doing. But for us, as first, you know, this is our first experience experience of Christian parenting, being Christians and parenting, and so for us trying to that ministry starting at home thing has been a really precious and terrifying and wonderful journey about trying to, how do we raise these little girls to know the Lord and to treasure his presence and for it not to be a, um, to make, to make life with Jesus look like the 
really incredible and attractive adventure yeah. that it is. That you it know? is. Yeah. So well, I would appreciate your tips on that because <laughs> you're doing it. Woo, I'm still making it. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off.
So yesterday you mentioned your children's book and yesterday it just released. Congratulations, by the way. Thank um, you. It's called What a Beautiful Name and just released. Is that where you mentioned that you and both your, that you did not grow up in a Christian home. And so mm-hmm. you're looking at like, I got to parent these girls. Is that what led you to want to create this resource for other parents? Yeah, well, we, um, it actually started my our youngest daughter, Rooney, who just turned three. She was just a few weeks old and, and we were reading, um, there was like a book that we had a kid's book and it was basically just lyrics to a pop song with like mm-hmm. cute pictures. And we were reading this and it was like super cute. And Scotty, my husband, who turned to me, was like, why do we not have worship songs like in books for kids? Like why, uh, wh- how come this pop song can be a book for our kids? Like right. where are the worship song books? He's like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to do it. So he started drawing like that day and that kind of said it. And then a few months later, we were with Ben and Carolee, Ben Fielding and I wrote that song, What a Beautiful Name together. And um, he showed them his first drawings and said, you know, what if we make this into a book? And so initially it was just the lyrics. And then we're like, you know what, this is, I mean, the lyrics are kind of dense for like little kids. So they're like, let's take the broad themes of the song, the beauty, wonder, and power of Jesus, make it an adventure story and help kids kind of like make it a, a stepping stone for kids into their own revelation of what that song could be for them. And all our kids are, between us, we have five kids under seven years old. And so it was really, you know, written for them. And, and you know, Scott, my husband, who illustrated the book, he's not, this is his first time, you know, doing anything like this. I was going to ask you that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is just, a, that's my husband though. If he doesn't know how to do something, he will figure it out. And okay. he's just incredible. Now he's an illustrator. In. We can add that yes. to his yes. list of things he does. Yes. And so, you know, every time he was, you know, locked away drawing for hours and hours on the end over these past few years, I've been like, you know, the kids would ask, where's dad? I'm like, he's drawing the book for you. And so actually um, just two weeks ago when the, when the book you know, for print arrived, that was because we only had one copy that we had for taking photos of. We wouldn't let them touch it because, you know, it's going to get destroyed. So, so they only literally just, you know, unwrapped it and saw for the first time this book that daddy drew for them, you know, and for all the other kids, but for them. And so, you know, that was really the motivation for us. And for, you know, Scott and I personally, we love books and reading time is, you know, part of our routine every single night with our kids. So I'm like, how can we, if this is going to, let's make something that we want to read to our kids that helps our kids. And then maybe it can be, you know, a blessing to to other families and other kids Mm. as well. Well, tell your husband, it looks beautiful. I've seen the cover, but I didn't know he was the illustrator. And I just love that so much. All listeners, it just came out yesterday. So you can get it wherever books are sold. Now you mentioned earlier that you became a believer at 15. Mm-hmm. But you did not grow up in a house of believers. Where did you meet Jesus? I met Jesus alone in my bedroom with the Bible. Wow. How You have to tell me, how did you end up with the Bible when you didn't ha- come from a family of faith? Yeah, this is my like elevator version. Yeah, I love it. You <laughs> which you're teaching me about. I'm <laughs> yes. learning. Thank you so much. Um, but I mean, the elevator version is, you know, I just, and it really, I mean, I guess my my experience of coming to know the Lord has been formative for I guess the the entire way that I see God's redemption story for people. I did not go to a church. No one shared the gospel with me. No one, I had little to no exposure to Christians apart from my grandparents. But I met Jesus. He revealed himself to me alone in my bedroom with a Bible that someone had given my mom that she had stuck in like the corner of our family bookshelf and had sat there for years. And I, as a 15-year-old, in a pretty dark place and desperate for answers, but for years had wondered about God and had felt like there was something missing. And I knew that I was in the world for a reason, but nothing in this world was telling me what that was. And so I remember as a little girl, being at recess at school and looking up at the sky and hoping that God was having a good day. I just always from my earliest years remember being aware of him, but I didn't know how to get to him. 
And so, yeah, this a whole bunch of events culminated in this. One day I'm 15 years old and I go and get the, the Bible that has been sitting in our bookshelf for years and years, untouched, you know. And I go and I take it and I started reading Matthew chapter 1 because it's the start of the New Testament. And um, I get to the verse where the angel's telling Joseph about Mary, she'll give birth to a son, you'll name him Jesus because he's come to save the people from their sins. And it was a life application Bible. I don't know if you remember those Bibles. They're like the big fat ones with all the basically commentary on almost Uh every single verse in the Bible. So I read that verse and the commentary was what led me to the Lord. I don't know if the people who wrote that commentary will ever know that or will ever understand the implications of their words, but it said, they explained this verse and they said, they said, Jesus didn't come to earth to help people be good or to help save them for their sins. He came to save people from their sins because there's nothing any of us can do, I'm paraphrasing, to make our way to God. And then it said, thank Christ for his death on the cross for your sin. Ask him to be the Lord of your life and your new life begins at that moment. That's not paraphrase. That's I'll never forget those words. And so here's the thing. I didn't realize that this was becoming a Christian. Right. I just, at that moment, I was like, that is, that's true. Yeah. And I didn't realize that what I was doing was asking the Lord into my heart. I just remember weeping and saying, God, I don't know why you would ever want someone like me, but if you would like me, that I would like to give my life to you. And, um, and that was it. And then I, I developed over the, the course of these months just this voracious appetite for reading this book, this Bible, and I started to pray and I started to discover this Jesus. And a few months in, I went, holy crap, I think I'm a Christian. This is a shock. <laughs> but this is not, this is not, I think. Yeah. And um, so then I went to my mum and I said, mum, could you please start taking me to church? And so <laughs> she was like, um, Okay. So she would drop me off at the little Salvation Army down the street every Sunday, pick me up at the end of the service. And at 15 years old, I just started going to this little church, this little Salvation Army by myself. I remember a few months later, um, I felt like the Lord impressed upon me that I should ask Raywin, who was one of the elders at this little Salvation Army, I should ask Raywin if once in a week I could come to her house for a cup of tea after school. And so I was very, I've always been a little bit, I don't know, probably just unaware or something. So I was like, hey, Raywin, could I please come to your house every week after school? And she was like, sure. And so after school, I would, in my school uniform, my backpack or my schoolwork, I'd catch the bus to Raywin's house every Friday and we would go and sit in her basement and we would have a cup of tea. And she also, praise God, happened to be a trained counsellor. <laughs> and so, and, and you know, but Raywin, Raywin took just this ordinary woman in this church who made herself available to a brand new Christian, 15 years old. Like she taught me how to read the Bible and we would pray together and she would tell me more about this Jesus who I was falling in love with. And the journey began and I, um, and God has written the story, but it, um, you know, he found me alone in my bedroom. And so I am always, uh, so I'm very, that's why I think as well, I have great hope for this time when people aren't able to walk into physical mm-hmm. churches because so that's good. when, I, because Jesus found me right where I was. And, you know, even, um, I had slash have, you know, I had a mainstream career as a mainstream artist as well, you know, it's a whole other conversation, you know, but, you know, all of life is ministry and all of it unto the Lord. But one of my, Brooke Fraser, tour managers, my mainstream, she came to know the Lord during this COVID season. I had witnessed to her for years. She texted me and she had COVID and she said, I'm afraid. I'm scared. Does your church have a prayer list or something that I can join? (laughs) And I'm like, I am yes. the prayer list. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's you get you. Thanks for, you know, and so she's been going to online services, oh. and she's you know, and 
she would probably never have walked into a physical church, but it's right now, like alone in her room, you know, reaching out that she has encountered the Lord. And so I just, um, I remember at the start, sorry, I'm blabbing. I should. No, I love it. Down, I but, love this story. Um, at the start of the year here at Hillsong OC, we had, I was just about to go down to Australia for our women's conference, Carla, down there. And uh, we had our, we call it a DNA night. It was like a heart and soul night, all our kind of key team, key volunteers. And our campus pastor, Diego, asked me if I kind of just in front of everyone, which is a bit awkward, asked me if I had anything to say. And I was like, no, I don't have any. I have nothing to say. But then as the service went on, he kept speaking. I felt like the Lord gave me a picture of something. And I was like, okay. And I kind of felt the burning feeling like in the belly. Yeah. And um, and I, go, I said, okay, if he asks me again, which he won't, you know, I'll say what I think you've told me, Lord. And so then he, about 20 minutes passes and then he turns to me and goes, Brooke, do you have anything to say? I was like, actually, yes, I do. Okay. 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 But I felt like the Lord gave me this picture of, um, of a boat and uh, when, when I don't know anything about sailing, but I guess, you know, when sailors go out and they take the boats, when the wind is blowing, they hoist the sails and they trim the mast or whatever they do. And they set the course, they set the angles of everything accordingly when the wind is blowing and, you know, journey on. And I said, I felt like the Lord was going about to give us a window of time where we would be able to trim the mast and set our sails and get the structures and the systems and everything in place before the wind was blowing. Mm. Because when the wind was going to blow, it was going to come in a mighty gust and we needed to be ready. And that he was about to give us a window of time. And this was end of January. And then of course it was probably six weeks later that window of time came. And so, and obviously, you know, I think we're seeing across the body of Christ, um, varying responses to the window, you know, we're seeing some people despairing that the journey doesn't look like what it looked like, but for the others who are seeing it perhaps for, for what it could be in the hand of God this time and who are, who are trimming the mast and setting the sails before the wind is blowing. I think, you know, like my friend who texted me, I think there is a great number of people on the other side of this who are, our church is going to be ready to hold them when they come and when they say, I was alone in my bedroom and I encountered Jesus or I came across, I was, you know, looking at YouTube hair tutorials and a link popped up for this random message. And I watched and I, are we as the church going to be, are we ready? Are we readying ourselves now for the flood of people who need discipling and raising up for these future gifts, for these future gifts in the church, for these apostles, teachers, pastors, evangelists who are coming to know the Lord right now? Are we going to be ready as the church to be able to help them get planted, thrive and flourish and grow the church exponentially even more in the years to come? I think this is such a critical Mm. season and it's exciting. And of course, like anything in human history, there's a lot of it that we're messing up. But, um, you know, I think I love, I can't remember who says it, perhaps it's Eugene Peterson. He refers to the sawtooth history of the people of God, you know, the the jagged edge, the the ups and downs. But I think, you know, God has worked great things through people just as messed up and dysfunctional as we are. So why not in our generation? He can do it again. That's a good word, Brooke, about being prepared for what God is doing. And I just recently had someone on the show who also, I mean, I've had a handful of people on the show who have had stories like yours of, Mm. I found this Bible. I was alone in my room. Mm. And I just, I love those stories so much. I think I say this every time someone tells me the story is because it's this really big reminder to me as a friend, as a communicator, as a parent, is that God's going to do what God's going to do. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, God met you there in this lonely place. And for people that are listening right now who might feel, I don't know if God would want me. And they're in that place because a lot of people are there that we have a God who totally meets us right where we are, just like he did you. And so I, it's it's a very encouraging story. So thank you for sharing it. And we can only start right where we are. That's all he needs is just yeah. where are we now? Who are we now? That's what he requires. Yeah. We can't be who we're going to be in 10 years. He's just asking for our hearts now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which takes a lot of pressure. It should take a lot of pressure off of us of going, okay, yeah. so you actually do want me, messed up me, you yeah. know, and I can still have been following Jesus for 20 years. And I still am like, God wants who I am today and not who I'll be. You know, I hope I love him more in a year and know more and all the things, but God is with me here today. Thank you for sharing that. It's so beautiful. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. We dwell on a lot in our lives. We dwell on some problems. We dwell on the past. We often wake up first thing in the morning and our minds are already dwelling on it. Whatever it could be of our crazy schedules, worrying about our health, tough periods of parenting, sadness over loss, the list goes on and on and on. And sometimes it seems impossible to do anything but dwell on it. That is why dwell was created because we can dwell differently. Dwell is a Bible memorization tool. You can easily memorize one Bible verse for every month. One of my favorite ones that we have memorized so far is Romans 12, 12, which says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And in fact, I keep the tag that they send me on my key ring and so I can look through them. And just today, I pulled that up and said that verse out loud. Dwell offers memberships that starting at $9.95 per month. Some of the memorization tools that you get include temporary tattoos, vinyl stickers, art prints. You guys, this is a great great, great thing for families to have, for teenagers to have, to help with little kids. Go to dwelldifferently.com. Use code Jamie15 for 15% discount on a prepaid membership. That's dwelldifferently.com. Brooke, I always ask people what they're loving, what they're reading, what they're watching, anything. What are you loving? What are you, what are you taking in these days? I am reading. I actually started reading The Moral Molecule. Um, which is a very, it's an, it's, um, by a guy who is nicknamed the vampire economist because he basically talks. (laughs) I like that. It's good. He's basically, his background was in economics and he was an Mm -hmm. economics professor and economics scholar. And then he started looking at how trust works in an economy and how, um, in a society where trust is more prevalent, economies flourish. And then he started figuring out, so he's not a Christian guy, but then he started working out, um, what is tr- trust? Started taking people's blood and measuring their oxytocin levels, and found uh, and, uh, and so basically like da 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 da. I'm only like yeah. quarter of the way through, okay, but, but it's fascinating. It. But it's basically yeah. about you know. I mean, what I take out of it as a believer is that it shows that that we were wired to trust, mm. and that when when we are trusted, when we realize that God trusts us with something, for example, we 
not only you know physiologically is there a change, but our physiology changes to a point where we're more positioned, we're we're more generous. We are more willing to trust other people who then in turn trust other people. Yeah. And basically the whole, uh, well, from what I can gather so far, like I said, I'm only caught all the way through, is that, that basically when, when humanity operates as designed, like society flourishes, like the it's world better. is better, yeah. like duh. But, um, uh-huh. but it's just very interesting seeing the evidence of this, the way God designed all of this That's from the perspective of a um, yeah, vampire yeah. economist. Vampire economist. I love that. Um, um, and then Leap Over a Wall by Eugene Peterson. I mean, I'm mm. a Eugene Peterson fan. Have you ever read that one? No. Oh, it's my about, husband like, really loves Eugene Peterson too. But, oh my gosh. It's yeah. about basically the humanity of David. Did you know that in the whole life of David, there are no miracles? Ah. I had never thought about that. I've never thought about that either. And so the whole, the book so far, as I'm still partway through it, is about, you know, how an earthy, what an earthy devoted life looks like. Like that, not taking a not taking away from obviously the, the supernatural and all of these things, but talking about the holiness of being a human yielded to God. Like that's mm. why I'm I'm really into all that stuff. Day so in and day through out, through the life of David, doing yeah, your thing and committed to yeah. Lord. yeah. What's like it wiping my kids' butt? Yeah, um, leap over a wall by okay. Eugene yeah. Peterson. Yeah, wiping butts. You ha- it has to get done. <laughs> yeah, it has to get done, and it's a holy work. So I will give you the good news is, is I'm not wiping butts anymore. So it will come to an end one day. Thank you. I mean, my, will do their own. Our, yeah, our youngest is three and she refuses to potty train. Like my <laughs> eldest was potty trained by like by a year ago uh-huh. by now. Yeah. And she's just like, no, mommy, I want the baby diaper. She's like, it's too easy. This is, yeah, this she's is like, too no, easy to have it. No. And I was like, no, I think it's time to start with, we call them chonies. Uh-huh. You know, I think I start with wearing chonies. She was like, chonies and a diaper. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> just the chonies. She's like, no, mommy, I want a baby diaper. I'm okay. like, no, Rooney, we're going to. Oh, my gosh. Well, one thing is eventually she will not want, she will want to wear chonies one day. So you're in good hands. Great news. <laughs> yes, it is good news. Brooke, thank you so much for coming on the happy hour. Um, I'm thank excited about so the book much. that you guys wrote and your husband illustrated. Um, what a beautiful name that released just yesterday. So you guys can grab Yay. a copy of that. And again, I'm just here telling you, I really appreciate as um, a follower of Jesus, what you help produce um, that is for the church and all of us benefit from it for so thank you for your work that you do thank you right back at you you guys I loved it when Brooke said the prayer that she said to God where she says I don't know why you'd ever want someone like me but if you'd want me I'd like to give my life to you that is a beautiful and honest prayer of a woman saying I'm here to follow you Guys, if you've been wrestling with your faith or maybe holding on to the old ways of living, I pray that today, through the conversation that you heard with Brooke and myself, would be the day that you might pray a very vulnerable prayer to God and meet Him and allow Him to meet you right where you are. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. The whole thing, organized, produce all of the stuff by Lindsay Sweeney. Guys, I have the best team. I love them so much. Friends, enjoy your week. Share the show with a friend. Have a happy hour. If you can, do it. I'll see you guys on Wednesday with a duo. That's right. Two people on the show. My friend, Cezanne Hendricks, her and her husband, Stevie, are right here on the happy hour.